Good morning, Hope Fellowship. My name is Jeff Brewer. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to thank you for being here to be able to worship the Lord. We're grateful for his provision in our lives to be able to, as Aaron prayed, gather in freedom, something that on particular weeks or weeks like this that we uh, don't take as much for granted as we do perhaps on other times as we recognize what's going on around the world with brothers and sisters. And so thank you, Aaron, for lifting them up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and I'll read that in just a moment, but let me go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the goodness that you offer to us from your Word. You speak words of life and truth to us. You did that on the day of our conversion when we first heard and beheld your glory and believed, and we were saved. Father, I pray that that would be true of some who are here even this morning, that the final tumbler would click into place in their minds by the power of your Spirit, that they might understand the truth of the gospel for them personally. Father, I pray for all of us as we think about how we might let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we might think about how we, might, as a body of Christ, might be honoring to you and how we teach and admonish and sing and give praise to you in everything that we do. May we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, whose name we pray, amen. Well, one of the reasons the girls don't want me to officiate their weddings is because they just say, Dad, you're going to cry through the entire thing. And uh, I might just cry through this entire sermon, which if you're here for the first time, I just acknowledge that that's probably pretty awkward to watch. And even if you're not here for the first time, that's also pretty awkward to watch, I'm sure, too. But uh, over the years, as I've uh, had the chance to wake up on Sunday mornings, I've regularly had one prayer Uh, that kind of comes to my mind almost every Sunday morning. One prayer and then one thought that I think about fairly regularly. The prayer is, Lord, these are just words on a page, the things that I've prepared for this morning. May you use them, may you breathe life into your word by the power of your spirit, and may you work in power. And week after week, God is very faithful, and I'm so thankful for him. And the thought, and for him working here in our church through the word, And the regular thought that I had was, who knows what's going to happen this week? At some point, I'm going to preach my last sermon at Hope Fellowship, and maybe it will be at a time when I don't realize, and we don't realize, when that time will be, because the Lord will call me home or he will return. So, as this day approached, and I knew that this would be my final sermon, at least as lead pastor here at Hope, after 11 years, I started thinking about a couple of options about what I wanted to preach about. And the first thought that I had was that I might be preaching, I might preach about Paul's affection for his churches that he planted because it's clear as you read through the New Testament, as you read about Paul and him talking about kind of his love for these churches and his greetings and in his salutations at the end of his letters, it's clear he loves them and he feels deep affection for them. And so, uh, Jen and our girls, we love this church. But as I started to let my mind go down that path, even like I'm doing right now, I, I started tearing up every time I told Jared what I was thinking about preaching. So I said, 
I'm not going to do that. That's going to be, that's not going to work. And then I thought back to our first preview service in November 2010 at the community center. Uh, I preached on the Christian as a worshiper from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I talked about how the call for Christians in Romans 12 is to be worshiping God in everything that we do. So here's what Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." And so I wondered if I might go back and preach that passage and study that passage afresh after all these years. But really, I I scrapped that idea because after we've been spending some time here in Colossians 3, I recognize that really there's a a kind of a nice bookend between Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and Colossians 3, 16 and 17. That Paul, that we would be in Romans 12, kind of honoring and worshiping him presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then in Colossians 3 that we've been focusing on these last five weeks or so, that there is this call to do everything for the glory of God, for everything in the name of Jesus. And so listen to Colossians 3. So I decided we'll just spend some time here in Colossians 3. I thought we'd spend one week in Colossians 3 and here we've been five weeks and we'll spend our time just in verses 16 and 17 here this morning. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I have two final exhortations for you as a church directly from this passage, from these verses. First, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Hope Fellowship. And second, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So those are going to be our, those are the two exhortations by Paul here, and those are going to be our two points and really my, my final call as the pastor here to you as a church. So let's be thinking about these two points. And first, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen again to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let's first ask, what does Paul mean by the word of Christ? And what does Paul mean by to have it dwell richly in us? So that's what we'll, we'll focus on first here. And so let's think about what does the word of Christ mean? And so if you have your Bibles open, you could turn back to the beginning of Colossians. And right at the beginning of Colossians, he opens and he speaks about the word of truth being defined as the gospel. And so listen to verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. He's talking, he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And then if you let your, mind, your eyes scan down to the end of, of, cha- of chapter 1, 
Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, this is verse 25, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. And so Paul's referring to this word being preached as the mystery that's been hidden for ages. That is the gospel. And so it makes sense then that when we come to chapter 3 here and Paul talks about the word of Christ dwelling richly in us, I mean, we could ask the question, we should say, are we, are we saying let the words of Christ, that is kind of the, the red letters type stuff that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of this is the words of Jesus, do we have those words dwell in us or is the word of Christ kind of indicative of not only those words but the truth about Jesus? And I think it, it certainly doesn't exclude what Jesus said But what Paul's referring to here in the word of Christ is what he says there at the beginning that it's the word, it's the mystery, it's the word of truth, it's the gospel, it's all the truth about Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and the truth that is a result of that. It's the gospel, the good news. And so you might be here this morning and you might wonder, what is the central truth of the Bible? And it's this. That God came, God sent his son to redeem sinners, of whom you are one of them, I am one of them, so that we might rejoice in him and we might have eternal life when we believe in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And so when Paul's talking about here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's talking about the totality of this message. Let the gospel, let the good news, let the word of Christ dwell dwell in you richly. Now, Paul, what he's doing here, he's, he's speaking to the church, and, and this is in the plural, let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly. That they all together, that we all together have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And, and of course, now, the word can't dwell richly in the community if individuals aren't having the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. And so it's not as if this is only a community call. It's also to us as individuals, that individually we would be letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly and corporately as a body we would be looking to see how that happens. So let's think about that then. What does the word of Christ dwelling richly? Another way we could say it is abundantly. What does the abundant word of Christ dwelling in a congregation looks like? And so I have four ways I want us to just briefly look at from our passage here. The first way that we see is that the word dwells richly when we keep the gospel central. And so the word of Christ, that is the message of the gospel, it must be held at the center of the church. And so if if you've come to our membership class or Discovering Hope, you've seen us talk about the functional centrality of the gospel. That it's like the gospel has to be right at the center and the truth of Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And then there are truths that come as a result, they're kind of like a rock going into a pond and those truths rippling outward, that then those truths that we have peace with God, that we've been forgiven, that we've been reconciled to God, all these truths that we see in the New Testament, they are a direct result of the gospel. And so the gospel is central, and then the truths follow of what's true of us, and then lastly, how we are to live in light of those truths and in light of the gospel. And so it's always from the gospel working its way out. 
And we're all, like we talked about, especially when we were looking at Galatians, we're hardwired to add to the gospel by thinking it's something we do in our own effort and with something, some kind of thing that we contribute to our salvation. But it's all of God. The gospel must be central. So for the word to dwell richly, the gospel has to be at the functional center of the church. You know, one illustration might be, if you think about this an anchor, if you anchor your boat to another boat, both boats are going to drift. We don't anchor our faith to other Christians, even though it's important to be in the body of Christ. We anchor our faith to the rock. We anchor our boat, as it were, to something solid so that when the storms of life come, when all of these things that, are tempted, that tempt us to drift away, we're anchored, we're secure because we're in Christ. And so, the first way the word dwells richly is when we keep the gospel central. And so Hope Fellowship, I would encourage you, as you search for the next pastor, as you seek to live your life personally, keep the gospel right at the heart of your heart and at the heart of the church. Second way the word can dwell richly here is the word dwells richly when we listen to it. So look at what Paul says here again in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And so when we teach or admonish or or warn one another, we're allowing the word of God to be training us as we listen. And so it does no good to teach or to warn if if the hearer isn't listening. And so for in order for the word to dwell richly, we have to be listeners to the word, listening to the word so that we can be trained by the word. And that's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, 6. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Do you hear that there? He said, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine or the good truth. And so it's essential how we live and how we speak and how we act in the world. It's always being shaped by something. Look, none of us are neutral. It's either being shaped by the word of Christ or worldly wisdom. All of us naturally, apart from Christ, we have instinctive ways at looking at the world, instinctive ways of how to navigate life, instinctive ways that kind of say that's the right way to live according to what the world says is acceptable. And those ways of living has kind of been baked in from a young age. It's, it's our framework. It's our worldview. You know, I, I read a couple weeks ago how researchers have found that children as young as four years old intuitively understand the rules of grammar because of being in the community that they're in and hearing the word of English spoken. And they use grammar correctly by how it sounds to the ear, as as young as four, which which is kind of why if you grow up in a community that doesn't speak proper English, it sounds like proper English to you. I, I grew up in an area where I still, when I get really excited and I start talking, my grammar just, it just goes away completely and because it sounds normal to me. You know, look, in a similar way, how we grow up, what influences we have, 
what sin we've been engaged in or how we've been sinned against, they all shape how we intuitively interact with the world. It's why sin just seems so natural because it's the air that we breathe. But what the word of Christ dwelling richly in us does is it begins to shape and conform us to the image of Christ in a way where we start to have a spiritual, capital S, spirit-born, Christ-like understanding of how to navigate in this world. And so, like Paul says in 1 Timothy, that we would be trained in the words of the faith, that it's active. And so, the word dwelling richly happens when we actively are trained by it, when we're active listeners to it. And so Hope Fellowship, would you continue as you have done and continue all the more to listen to the word of Christ? Would you let it dwell in you richly so that you might be trained and shaped by it? The third way the word dwells richly in us is when we treat the word as an inexhaustible resource to be drawn upon. Now, look again, like, so just like we did with uh, just a few moments ago, I want us to go back and look at the beginning of Colossians and how Paul has talked about the riches of Christ in Colossians. So when he talks about what the word of Christ dwell in you richly, again, that's not the first time he's brought this word up. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the riches, the abundance of this mystery that was long hidden for ages has now been revealed that Christ is in the believer. And so like we've been saying as we've been going through Colossians chapter 3, that we've been united with Christ, that we are in him. We have, as Paul says in Galatians 2, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so therefore, we need to understand the riches, the abundance of that mystery. Jesus dwells inside you by his spirit. But then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 2, just a few verses later, and, and he links the riches of Christ in you with assurance. And so listen, he says, so that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so kind of smash those two verses together. God chose to make known his riches, which is Christ in you, so that you could reach the riches of assurance in Christ and an understanding of him for you. And so we, we, God chose to make known his abundance, Christ in you, so that you could have the abundance of assurance through Christ. And so, you know, think of like kind of that picture of like Scrooge McDuck who's always sitting on a mound of, of gold and he's kind of always kind of just relishing in this gold he has and kind of swimming and diving into it. That's the riches that we have and more in Christ, that we're sitting on this pile of gold, the riches of Christ, that we have access to all of this. And those riches of Christ give us the richness of assurance, of being rooted and grounded in him. 
So it's meant to be a unifying and encouraging factor that brings assurance to us as a body of Christ. Now, when, here's what I found. When, when I've, in my times in my life, when I'm at my absolute lowest, the times when I'm most discouraged, the thing that helps me most, in, uh, invariably every time, is when somebody points me to the word of God that's full of the inexhaustible riches of Christ for me. That they bring to me a scripture that's just the right scripture at just the right time and they're just sharing something with me and it's just what God uses by his spirit to encourage me. Now, sadly, I know from experience in my own life and I suspect with you as well that we're hesitant to use the word in that way to encourage people. When we see somebody who's down or discouraged, we're hesitant to kind of share a Bible verse with them because we can think, oh, I don't want to look like I'm being ultra spiritual here or I don't want to just, they've probably already thought of this verse or kind of like it's, the, it's just this seems so trite to just kind of, kind of staple a Bible verse onto their life. But I think that's a lie from the evil one because what we need to lay a hold of here is the riches of Christ and the riches of Christ being assurance to our hearts and dwelling in the, let the word of Christ dwelling in us richly means that in order for that to happen in the body of Christ, we need to be sharing the word with one another regularly, pointing people to the word. And so I'd encourage you, when you meet one-on-one with somebody, when you have a chance to talk with them, when they're sharing a prayer request, if there's a verse that comes to your mind or something as you're praying for them later, share that with them. Let the word of Christ dwell in them richly that God's brought to your mind. Well, the fourth way that we can let the word of Christ dwell richly is the word of Christ dwells richly when we rejoice with thanksgiving to God. So look at what he says here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, I I saw a video this week on Instagram where a musician was demonstrating the principle of resonance that happens. So if you take a tuning fork that's like in key of C or it's the note C and they hit it with a mallet and there's a uh, tuning fork that's in D next to it, nothing will happen. There'll just be the one tuning fork that'll be clearly vibrating and resonating and the other one won't uh, be doing anything. But if you have the tuning fork that's C and you take another tuning fork that right next to it uh, that's in C and you hit it, the one with the mallet, the other will immediately start to resonate with that sound. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here when he's talking about teaching one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I, I don't think he's actually trying to differentiate between those three things. I think it's three different ways of saying the same things, that there is rejoicing in song. And when we see others rejoicing, we should be resonating with them as they're rejoicing in song. And so, you know, think about how kids naturally sing songs when, when they're playing and when they're enjoying themselves. They're kind of talking, they're singing songs about their trucks that they're playing with or they're singing songs about Batman as they're playing with their toys and Batman toys and they're, they're doing all of these different things. Just kind of naturally, it just, it just comes out. But you don't go into an office park and kind of see people in their cubicles and you hear guys, you know, singing about like accounting, this is great. And it, like, you just don't see that. But I think to have a childlike faith is to have this faith that, girls, you didn't think I was going to sing this morning, did you? 
Was, that was for you. Um, the, uh, the, to have this childlike faith means that we're just letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that it's coming out naturally as God built us. And God built us to be able to sing and to rejoice. You know, God gives us, gives us music so that we might have, so that the word might have a super highway, highway from our heads to our hearts. And so, like, Jared, I agree with you, before the throne of God above, that song, and in particular, verse 2, God has used that verse so many times in my life where it's taking scriptural truth, we're putting it to music, it makes it memorable in a way that you'll be humming it later and, and be thinking about it later. And so I, I had us, the song we'll sing here at the end is a song that... Um, that God has used in my heart to help me to dwell and delight more on Christ. And so we can remember verses more easily when they're set to music. And so, Hope Fellowship, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you rejoice with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And thank you to Nolan and Hillary who so, so helpfully pull in songs that are just soaked in Scripture week after week after week. And so, so that's the first point there, that we might let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now, secondly here this morning, let's look at his second call. My second exhortation to you as a church is do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you remember back a few weeks, we said that the, the central verse that Paul's writing in the book of Colossians is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And here's what Paul writes in 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you received Jesus, you're now called to walk in him, to to be who you already are in Jesus, like we've been saying over these last few weeks. And so Paul really summarizes that whole concept when he gets to verse 17. And he summarizes it with the word, whatever. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so, now what does it mean to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? I I don't think it's just, I don't think you just kind of staple that on again, like on the end of it and say, well, that was in the name of the Lord Jesus. I think what it means is that it's that we do everything under the authority of Jesus. That he is the rightful king and we are living our lives under this king. So everything we do reflects how we might reflects this king and what he values that we might honor him. You know, somebody in our mission group a couple weeks ago was opening up and sharing and they, and they they were talking about a struggle they had and they said, you know, I wouldn't have been speaking at work the way I was if any of you guys were in the room. And, and I loved the statement. It was an honest statement that really gets at the heart, I think, of what this means, except it's not just when other Christians are around that we don't do what's wrong. It's that we recognize that all of our lives, when we're alone, we're in the, when we're in the quiet, when we're in public, wherever we are, we're under the authority of Jesus. And so that everything we do needs to be done in his authority. His life should make a difference in our life. We're all together, we all as a body of Christ are called to live and do everything under his authority. You know, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, 
whatever you do. So basically, the mundane things of life, the things that you do all the time, like eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. So how we eat, how we drink, how we speak, how we treat others, what we think about, what we desire. But, it, but it's not just kind of the, the spiritual things of life. We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when we go to our workplaces, we can do everything under his authority. When we're doing our hobbies, when we're enjoying watching baseball, if baseball ever happens again, or watching football, or just spending time with family, we can do all these things, doing it with everything in the name, under the authority of Jesus. And in fact, I think when we do that, we enjoy God more by delighting more in his creation and in his gifts that he's given to us to enjoy because we're recognizing, God, you're the giver of all these gifts. And so I thank you. That's why we pray before we eat. It's not some magical blessing happening in the food. It's because we're, right, we're taking time to acknowledge this is from you, God. And this food I'm going to enjoy because it's as a gift from you. So Hope Fellowship, remember, you were made by God. You were made for God in order that you might glorify God with your lives under the authority of Christ. But before we end, let me sneak in just one more hidden brief point. Third point here, do it all with thankfulness. Now, look back up at verse 13. Actually, if you look at chapters 1 and 2 and 3, you're going to see Paul talking a lot about thankfulness. So if you look back up at verse 15, you'll see some of the structure for these three verses. Each verse contains a reference about being thankful. So Paul says, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Then he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 17, giving thanks. And even back in chapter 2, verse 7, which we just said was kind of the central verse, Paul's saying, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so what that tells me is that there should be a posture of thanksgiving that we should be having in our hearts when we're letting the peace of Christ rule and we're letting the word of, God, of Christ dwell and the activity we're doing in everything for Jesus. That there is a posture of thankfulness that we're cultivating in our hearts and re- recognizing, God, this is all from you. I'm living for you and I am so thankful for what you've provided. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In fact, in Paul, when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, this is the will of God. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's his will? That we give thanks in all circumstances. What isn't his will? That we complain in all circumstances. What's our temptation? To complain in all circumstances. What's the call? What's God's will? To give thanks in all circumstances. And so I want to end our time here this morning in the word with a few expressions of thanksgiving to God. And I can't possibly name everyone, but I did want to mention a few people that deserve recognition and thanks. And I'll try to get through this. And um, Jen, you can just come up and read the names if I, if I can. And so first I want to thank you 
members of Hope Fellowship for making being your pastor an absolute joy. You receive the word with eagerness. I can tell that because as we've been in mission groups over these 11 years, there is an eager receptivity that's happening throughout the week where you're engaging with the word in the middle of week seeking just to know how does this apply to our life. And that makes doing this job in terms of this role, preaching the word each week, it makes it a joy. So thank you. I want to express my gratitude to College Church in Wheaton uh, along with Josh Moody who planted us as well as uh, David Sunday and New Covenant Bible Church who helped support us in prayer and financially in the first two years. I've been thankful for Acts 29 and the support and ongoing connection they've provided for us and they will continue to provide as a church. Now, I want to thank Ken and Linda Kelly. who've been there from the, before the beginning of hope. I mean, we, we went dumpster diving with them to get furniture for our house. We, they've, they've been and loved and served in so many different ways behind the scenes. I'm going to wipe out my contact out of my eye, and that'll be really awkward. <laughs> Thanks to those who were at the, the Brown House in those early days, helping to kind of when we were just thinking, never could think of kind of what would happen 11 years later. Um, I'm thankful for Ted and Judy Pollack who helped and were praying. We, were, we served on an elder council together at Grace Community Bible Church um, for 10 years before we came to plant Hope Fellowship. And we were praying about churches in, being planted in this area and to have them here with us is a sweet blessing. You know, I'm thankful for the, the men who have served as elders of hope. You know, Chris Castaldo served as one of our transitional elders at the beginning. Long, Ken Kazmarek, one of our first elders, and Anthony Gosling and Matt Tully. Our current elders, Jeremy Lundgren and Aaron Camp, Jared Cockrum. I've been so blessed serving with each of these men, and I'm so thankful for them, and they serve this church so well. I'm thankful for John and Jen Trott and their tireless work and their partnership with us and with the gospel. And lastly here, I'm thankful for Jen, my wife Jen, who has loved me and who has served this church with joy. She is full of life in everything that she does. And her presence uh, in our home, her presence in the church, and, and how she's taught our girls to love and serve this church so well. And to Maggie, who is still at school today, Molly and Ellie and Betsy, I love that you grew up in this particular church at this season of your life from a young age until now. And it's my prayer that all the kids that are here who are young, that they grow up watching their parents glorify God by serving in the church and rejoicing and delighting in the gospel. And so I counted a privilege, one of the greatest of my life, to have been one of your pastors. And I'll continue to serve joyfully as an elder as we relocate, until we relocate in the next few months to Cincinnati. And I eagerly await who God is going to call to be the lead pastor here. And I'm going to be cheering them on and excited and praying for them from afar. And so let me pray and then let's sing together. 
And let's bless the name of the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You give to us so many gifts that we can't even know, so many blessings that you provide for us. Lord, I thank you for the, being, for the blessing of being called one of the pastors here in this church. And I pray, Lord, that as the elders continue to love and serve and shepherd, as you continue to call men to be pastors, that we might recognize all of us are interim pastors. All of us are under-shepherds serving under our great shepherd. All of us are temporary. None of us know what this week will hold, what this month or this year. Father, we recognize our lives are but a mere breath, and yet you are sovereign and you are glorious to use us and to shape us and to mold us by your spirit. And so I pray that for Hope Fellowship, that you would bless this church richly by the power of your spirit as they look to you, the great author and foundation of their faith. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And all God's people said, amen.